0: All right, are you ready to get into all that jazz?
1: Yeah, totally.
0: Yo, welcome to my summer lair. I'm your host, Sammy. Jazz hands, you name. Charlie Parker was a jazz saxophonist, born in 1920, who died in 1955, a combination of pneumonia and, I guess, heart attack. Just... Basically, ill health from a (laughs) well lived life where he didn't often make healthy choices. As always, every gravestone has that dash between dates that signifies a life. And for Charlie Parker, wow, what a life! Music is your own experience, your thoughts, your wisdom. If you don't live it, it won't come out of your horn. So says Charlie Parker. So if you don't know Charlie Parker's jazz music, you may know Bird, the Clint Eastwood movie from 1988. Parker was definitely played by Forrest Whitaker. Well now that dash between dates is depicted in Chasing the Bird, a graphic novel by Dave Chilsum. The foreword is written by the GOAT Kareem Abdul-Jabbar who is a major jazz fan and yes, he actively reads and even writes comic books. This bird's eye view of Charlie Parker's life and special contributions to jazz was commissioned by his estate to celebrate the centennial anniversary of his birth. It's fascinating, they commissioned a graphic novel. Talk about novel for true. What makes the graphic novel a captivating project is that in like Clint's movie, you can see the jazz being performed. You can hear the jazz, the literal music. How do you present jazz, a sonic medium, in a static medium like a graphic novel? Indeed, Dave succeeds, and over the course of this My Summer Layer exchange, he'll reveal some of his techniques and his approach to crafting Chasing the Bird. It's a solid graphic novel. I highly recommend it. I was also curious about jazz scenes as they evolve around America and that classic American tension of, like, crafting a unique black culture in a society where all black people are not accepted. So, Shall we begin Chasing the Bird? I want to start with something that I thought was weird, and I'm hoping that uh, you can kind of clarify this for me and clear it up for me. Utah's NBA team plays in Salt Lake City, but they're called the Jazz. And the New Orleans (laughs) team is called the Pelicans. But based on your origins, Salt Lake City is not a stranger to jazz, is it?
1: Well, you know the story
0: is the franchise,
1: the Utah Jazz basketball franchise, actually started in in new orleans Mm -hmm. but you know like you said uh it would make um make a lot more sense for the for them to to, to, just for the franchise name to to switch back up but yeah as far as this the scene out in utah goes it's a utah's a funny place because it's really like geographically isolated from the rest of the country because it's like in the middle of the Rocky Mountains, basically, it's uh, the closest, the closest like big city I guess is like Las Vegas by driving, and that's still like six hours away or something like that. So the so the so the music scene in Salt Lake City is this at least when I lived there, um, which was like ten years ago, is this really kind of like isolated music scene. Uh, and so, and it, and it feels like it has its own little kind of culture going on, uh, own that is, is somewhat separate from the bigger trends in music that you get, like nationally and globally. And I lived there for quite, quite a long time. I think like 20, 20 years or something like that. And, and, um, the music scene had its ups and downs during that time, but generally, it's pretty—it's a pretty fertile place. The only thing is, it's really easy to fall into a trap of like doing a lot of work there for like no national attention.
0: Yeah, it—it it feels like it's cut off. You don't really hear mm-hmm. like Salt Lake City doesn't really make a lot of noise. You know what I mean? Like. Other cities, obviously like New York and LA, get a primary share of like attention. Nashville, right, all right, those kind of cities, and we're kind yeah. of used to that. But even Austin, right. even Austin, Texas, will chip in some stuff every now and yeah. then. You know what I mean? Not just South by Southwest, yeah. but filmmakers and other people, other creative types. And then Salt Lake City, right. like, yeah. In the music scene, in the music scene
1: for jazz music, like it's definitely New York is the primary place by like by far, in in America, like, if you want to, like, make an impact on the jazz scene that's, like, beyond having, like, a local influence, you, it's hard yeah. to avoid, it's hard to avoid, like, having to live in New York City, at least for a span of time, to kind of develop your name and to play with the other great players. And to be honest, like, I th- I don't think it's a, necessarily a, a very positive thing you know new york's a cool town and everything but i but i don't think it's a i don't think it, i don't think that like that shift that slowly happened from having like regional jazz scenes in in the country to making it so that the jazz scene in america is basically centered around one place i think that that shift coincides with the descent of jazz in terms of its popular appeal and cultural relevance in 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 America,
0: yeah, uh, I, want, I want to ask you about that. That's a different conversation, you, you know. Well, uh, can we just go down that road for just a little bit, uh, because sure, in in chasing the bird, your Charlie Parker graphic novel, mm-hmm. a lot of the characters, and I know they're real life people, all of them, but like they they talk mm-hmm. about uh, like how jazz is a black culture, uh, that's kind of referenced, yeah, and jazz is kind of like pre hip hop, where like. It had the slang, it had the style, and then had the music uh, that mm. was very influential. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, as a, um, as kind of like a, a tenant of uh, black culture and a tenant of black expression, I guess. It's hip hop has now has supplanted jazz from NBA to slang to what we hear on the radio. Yeah, the, and you're saying that part of that is the the lack then of those smaller cultural kind of centers, right? Like the cities, not New York and LA who are kind of chipping in making Whoa. sounds and stuff.
1: Well, you know,
0: like, I'm not going to come, I'm not going to
1: come down too hard with a real strong opinion, but you can, but you could make that connection. I think like, like, um, and it's not so much like the lack of, of regional scenes, but more like New York city becomes this like gravitational force for like the most of the like quote unquote like most of the like skilled people and talented people in that particular style of music of in this and so like it's hard to develop a regional scene when there's this gravitational pull from this place this other this place across the country that takes that makes it so that like all of the like like 7 out of the 10 like best players in town are Full, fully intends to move to New York within the next two years or whatever. And it's even the same here in Rochester, New York, where I am now, which is like, you know, you will, you know, where Rochester is. You live in Toronto. Yeah. Rochester is like three hours away from Toronto and it's like a, a solid, like, like six to seven hours away from New York city. So, but, but even in Rochester, like there's a lot of talent here, it's similar in, the sen- in, in that sense that there's, I think there's talent everywhere. There's there's skilled and talented players everywhere, but like all of the best ones are like, I don't want to stay here. I want to move to New York, and you get it because that's where all the best players are, and it's this kind of self-perpetuating problem. You know, on top of that, like it's a, there's another layer on top of that that's that I could get into that's economic, right? Where like, you know. Uh, of all the players I know who, who, who moved to New York, the ones who have like achieved success are, are the ones who come from the most affluent mm-hmm. <laughs> backgrounds. You know what I mean? And at this point, it's like the connection of, and again, like I'm, I'm speaking from a place of like this, this warrants further investigation. I'm not coming. I'm, this isn't like, after hours and days and months of exhaustive research on my yeah. part or even like personal experience. Cause honestly, New York is too expensive for me. And I was like, uh, I never moved out to New York city because, you know, I never, I couldn't reconcile the economic aspect of it. Um, but, but like to say that, like when you like how, how when, when you're dealing with a popular, like a, a kind of like a crucible that you have to encounter where you where you have to go to New York City and live there and it's this very expensive place and there's an there there's obviously like an advantage to, to if you if you come from wealth if you have like a family support system that can support you for like 10 years while you try to stake your claim in the music scene versus the people who have to go there get a day job you know, knowing that like a lot of the opportunities happen in, in the jazz music scene, it <laughs> like two a.m. Mm-hmm. on a weeknight. You know what I mean?
0: Like, a lot like stand up comedy.
1: Yeah, it, exactly. And so then you and so then it becomes this thing where like the population gets more like have has more of an more and more of an affluent background, and due to America's like systemic racism, that also tends to mean more and more of like a white profile. But this is—we're already in the in the woods, man. This conversation is already in the woods. Yeah, it's—you
0: know—I know it's, it's, you know, know, like, it's interesting because it's—that's um, why I brought up the 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 kind of shift because when you read "Chasing the Bird" and you even just just knowing history itself, there was a time where jazz was incredibly prominent. I know sometimes people now, when they hear jazz, they kind of make that face or they kind of dismiss it or like it's weird. I don't get it, and it's like. I understand, too, that culturally things shift. Um, But it's understanding how Mm -hmm. those shifts happen uh, that you can kind of then figure out how to um, navigate the culture, right? So then you're not surprised when things shift under your your feet. Right? It's like living in LA. You got used to earthquakes, right? So you're not surprised. Right. (laughs) Whereas, like, you live in Rochester, I live in Toronto. If an earthquake happened, I'm like, yo, I don't appreciate this. What's happening here?
1: Right, right. And, like, um... When, when you look at like that particular movement that's alluded to in like the first chapter of the Charlie Parker book that, that the dizzy narrator narration mm-hmm. kind of speaks to is the, is the shift away from like the so-called swing era in which like jazz music was the, the most, pot, the last, that was the last time jazz music was like, was basically just pop music, popular music in America. And it was like big bands, swing music. The music was really built around a big beat dance. It was dance music. It was, it was like music for, for dancing. Right. Mm -hmm. And the bands tended to be segregated not entirely so but for the most part segregated and and the bands that achieved the highest success during that time were the white bands and the bands that got the most kind of like financial support were the white bands and then the in the compounded compounded combining that with for the black bands is that they were there were large portions of the country that were unsafe to travel through for touring and, and stuff like that. And then compounding the pain of that inevitably is that the, that the majority of the innovations in that music were, you know, innovated by the, the players from the black, the black bands. And so, you know, the, the kind of, End result is it became financially untenable and unsafe for the black bands to tour, and they then like the safest places for those people and the places with the most active scenes were like big cities. In particular, you know, n- n- eventually becoming New York City as the epicenter. This is the slow move to New York City. So there was maybe like a real thriving Chicago scene and a thriving Kansas City scene, and a thriving scene in New Orleans and even like a scene in LA and eventually it became more and more that like, although everyone would just go to New York city. And then out of that scene, you have, since you have like a, a greater emphasis on small group jazz, which is like what Charlie Parker is best known for. Although there were still big bands that played this new style of jazz that again is alluded to in, in the book, this, um, Be bebop music which Charlie Parker didn't like the term bebop but you know that's what we know it as now this which is sort of like um, probably it's safe to say that it's music that is more for listening than for dancing um, more music that's built more on like virtuosity
0: fast tempos too
1: yeah fast tempos just really difficult you know
0: and and and
1: you could maybe make the claim that like some of those some of those musical decisions were like a reaction to this to this that were like well like the the to to the kind of like injustices of the kind of how the swing swing era played out but also you can also if there's Plenty of evidence that it's, it was just the next step in the musical evolution, and if you look at like some of the more innovative players from the swing era, like Lester Young, um, the small groups of like Benny Goodman, which was which were like inter- integrated groups, you know, and the piano playing of Art Tatum, um, even like some like Slam Stewart and don bias kind of stuff uh that stuff is like like one hop and a step away from like full-blown bebop
0: the way you portray charlie parker in your graphic novel there are certain parts of it where he seems incredibly humble like he says like i just have a lot of music in my head and it seemed obvious to him what he was doing with the with the saxophone like he didn't seem to like set out to like start a revolution or write a manifesto or something. You know what I mean? The way that Uh you you kind of approach him is just like, I hear these notes in my head and I'm just going to play them. And then it, it ended up becoming revolutionary, but it didn't seem like he was trying to be revolutionary.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I think, I think that's probably true. You know, I think that if you really like lay the pieces out, like I, like kind of what um, the point I was I was I was alluding to before is that if you lay the pieces out of all of the influences on Charlie Parker and all of the pieces that were around in the in the air and in the in the scene as he was like figuring it out in Kansas City and in New York and stuff like that his his music is uh, just as evolutionary as it is revolutionary. You know, he didn't come he wasn't born out of nothing. His 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 style and technique wasn't born out of nothing. It's just a kind of a perfect synthesis of uh a variety of influences. And the genius is this is this synthesis of his of his influences and sort of like the quicksilver incredible intellect that it took to to um to absorb all of those influences fully. And then the kind of like the, the amazing flexibility of his musical mind to improvise on all of that stuff in real time. So, so like the level of his genius is like several levels deep, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause he was like a perfect musical sponge for his influences and he had an incredible musical memory, or just an incredible memory in general, allegedly. And then on top of that, like, the, you know, on top of it, like, it's, so it's easy to, like, learn this stuff and remember it. But then to be able to, like, pull it out at the drop of a hat and interpolate and reinvent all of this musical content on the fly, it's just pretty amazing, you know.
0: It reflects, like, when we talked about bebop, I mentioned that one of the characteristics of it is the fast tempos. Yet Mm -hmm. yet the bird that's in your graphic novel, he seemed to live by a fast tempo as well. Like it wasn't just limited to the music. You know what I mean? Intellectually, he was, he was going fast. Like the way that like the flash and DC comics will like calculate things Mm -hmm. in his head, uh, the way that bird lived, everything about him seemed to go at a fast tempo.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, well, I think that was kind of the, he didn't really have much of a choice, I think in that matter you know i think that one of one thing that i really learned as i was doing research for this book is that really like it sounds stupid to say that i learned this at this this late in my life you know this is something that should be totally obvious but that like there was no choice back back then and and probably to a large extent today as well there's not a lot of choice for like black people in america to like just kick back and to and take it easy and to like to to relax right and so when you look at all of the vices that charlie parker accumulated over the course of his short life they're all built around escape whether it's like the very famous like drug addiction or his alcoholism or his food addiction or set his like very loose sexual mores and morals. And you could call it nowadays, you might call it like a sex addiction. Um, And it's built all all of those things. And maybe this is just addiction. Human addiction in general is are built around like just being able to pause your mind or just to escape for for a moment from like the frustrations and pains and the pace of life. And so for like, black people during that time and again like like not even not to mention probably a lot of black people today in america you know it's going to be a fast-paced lifestyle it's going to be like most most of most black people like then and now live in cities and it's a faster life and you're faced with kind of like oppression on all sides and so yeah, I mean, I think that like if if you want to get, if you want to read into it, you could you could make the argument that like the musical trappings of bebop is like a representation of that like kind of unrelentlessly like fast life life that had to be that had to be lived if you were like a black person in America during that time. But I don't know, you know. Then on the other hand. Sometimes making connections like that, it's a poetic thing to do, but I never I don't know if it's if it's really like a academically factual kind of thing you know so yeah,
0: that's fair. Well then I want to make one more then you can correct me if I'm out to lunch because a word that you repeat throughout chasing the bird is breathe. Breathing obviously mm. signifies life um, obviously, but as a musician as a teacher, what does breathing mean too though? it has different connotations for what you do.
1: I don't know, man. Uh, I mean for that, I, I wish I could say that I was, that there was some grand symbolic meaning to that. And I, and I think like, I think that it's a, it's a, it's nice that the work is rich enough that you could look at that and say, that means something. Um, and maybe like subconsciously it does mean something to me, but it wasn't a conscious decision on my part. It just fit with the, with the scene and the plot Mm -hmm. in that, that the, the kind of plot device of this, like anchoring every story in this, um, all of the stories in the book, anchoring all of them to like this one, uh, particular event and seeing everything right before he plays every time you have to have it a breath in every time. So yeah, and breath in a breath in is a hard thing to illustrate in comics. <laughs> so
0: Yeah, how did you develop the visual language because you're flipping the senses? Uh this is music. So this mm-hmm. is things that we hear, but because this is a comic book it's a static book. You're flipping the senses to go from what we hear to what we see now. So how did you develop a visual mm-hmm. language? to kind of express like in the first chapter like we've talked about you see a lot of like kind of these kind of jazz squares i guess Mm -hmm. kind of Mm -hmm. happening um so how do you develop that visual language
1: i think like this has been a long time of obsession of mine this like intersection of music and comics and so the nice thing about this book is that it'll since it's since i've structured it as a series of vignettes each one with a different a different like visual language like you said um it gave me like several chances to like try new things with how to depict music and how to talk about music and how how musical to make the flow of the chapter you know mm-hmm. um for lack of a better term and so the dizzy one and, and i tried to like make it so that each depiction of music would reflect the point of view of the narrator of that chapter. So the dizzy one felt, I wanted it to feel very like improvisatory and dynamic. And there's this quote by Charlie Parker that said that's the, you play the notes you play are your life or you play the, you play your life through the horn. Right. And so if you notice, there's the one page where you get a flashback of Charlie Parker where it's a big profile of his head, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. And the color of the flashback is the same color as the notes that come out of Charlie's horn. No, yeah. And so the idea is that, like, you know, I probably could have hit this a little bit harder in the book, I guess, but the general, like, symbolic idea is that his like this is the kind of color of his life, is this kind of magenta color. And and Dizzy o- is always blue, and, Dizzy's narration is kind of like a similar kind of blue, bluish green color and stuff like that. Just kind of like the playing with it that way. And then the the Zorthian chapter, the music shows up more like music notation. And this kind of allowed me to, to, to take advantage of like having accurate transcriptions, you know? So like the scene when the woman is dancing, Mm -hmm. uh, there's all the music notation on that, those pages and, That's exactly what Charlie played at that party in that moment, right? Yeah, yeah. all those notes that that are there. If you pull up the recording, if you google like Charlie Parker's Orthian Ranch, Embraceable You, it's the name of the song. Um, Um, you can follow along with what for, for a few measures with what I've written on the page in that section, and you can even hear. I think it's Zorthian himself yelling, like, take it off.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. The woman yeah.
1: Is dancing. It's, it's a very un-PC moment. But,
0: yeah. Um, well, It was a very hedonistic party.
1: Yeah, that's right. It was kind of proto-counterculture.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then, um, you know, with the Claxton chapter.
0: The photographer.
1: Yeah, just a different vibe for that one. And the way the music shows up in that one is more like Charlie, just you don't even really see the music when they're playing. You just see the pictures, still pictures of them playing much like William Claxton's photography. And the one time we do see music show up is when Charlie's talking to the kids, to the college students about music and his perspective on music and stuff like that. So trying to, trying to find a way to like fit that in there. Um, there's a Julie McDonald chapter. And again, with this one, she's not, she's not a musician, but the, and so the one part we really see the notation in that one is when they have a fight and he's like replying to her in song all through his horn. She's saying like, I feel so alone. And he's like quotes alone together. And she says, Are, "Aren't we like lovers?" And he says, "Just friends, lovers, no more." Mm. So, so, you know, like song lyrics, because he allegedly knew all the words to all the songs too. Um, so yeah, I mean, and then there's the end sequence where that big, like, quote-unquote, like, silent sequence where there's no comic book text, but just mute, like, just them playing, and you see this, the these, these birds superimposed over the. Panels with similar jazz boxes, like in the Disney chapter. And for that sequence, you, what I did for that sequence is each double page spread is four measures of music from a recording of Charlie's song, uh, Relaxing at Camarillo. Yeah. And so you can follow along if you if you really want to dig it up, you can follow along. And the total sequence is 18 pages so it's nine spreads which means it's uh three choruses of his playing on relaxing at camera 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 and you can follow the notes and follow the birds as the camera like swoops in in around the scene it's kind of a and i in that scene i'm really proud of i think that scene turned out really cool um I think it feels musical, you know.
0: Yeah, it does. Yeah, and it's
1: a symbolic representation of the of the music, and yeah, so definitely, uh, definitely cool.
0: Is there a difference between writing a song and writing a comic book? Is that kind of a <laughs> silly question?
1: No, man. I think uh, writing is writing. Uh, well, I think that, um, like, when you're talking about composing music writing a song is a song is like a specific thing, right? So like a song, like by definition has like words in it. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's kind of like a comic in a sense. Like, so if we're, if we're talking about writing like a piece of music, like a composition, it's a little bit different, but I think no matter what, I think for me, like um, the way I tend to think about it is, is that I'm, I'm, I tend to start with, uh, maybe it's paradoxical, but I tend to try to, I do my best to start with like what I'm not going to do. So I set boundaries for myself first. And then as much as I can, I have a, I set up a system that I can use so that like the decision-making for me is like limited. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I know it seems kind of bizarre, like to say, to start with a system.
0: Yeah, no, it does make sense because limitations sometimes prompt a lot of creativity. Like if Justin Timberlake sat down to write a new album, for example, or a new song, and he didn't mm-hmm. want to use the word baby, that would kind of force mm-hmm. him to kind of grow up a little bit and kind of like figure out new ways to say mm-hmm. things. You know what I mean? I think that's what you're saying, right? Yep.
1: Yeah. 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 And so for like each of these Charlie, Bar- Charlie Parker chapters, I I had like a ser- like a series of rules for each chapter. Okay, so in each of these, I had, like, rules set up for each one. So, like, in Chapter 1, like, if there were any gutters, they would be colored black. I would try my best to, like, keep the panel layouts as dynamic as possible, with a couple exceptions. Um, I would use, like, be freely use, like, large black shapes on the page. Like, if um, Charlie's wearing a black suit, it would just be a black shape and not, like, with rim lighting or anything like that. And then the jazz squares music, you know, and then I would do my best to have like images ble- bleed into the next image as much as possible. So like if I could avoid using panel borders, I would. And then in the next chapter,
0: That's like jazz. it was a
1: totally different set of rules. Right. So like the next chapter was like me, like basically trying to use Mobius as like a style guide. Yeah so i, I use yeah. totally different tools for inking right like i used it the whole first chapter was inked with a brush and the whole second chapter is inked with a like a pen nib and then you know in the third chapter is all on a two by is it two by four grid or two by three grid i can't remember now two by three grid which really limits the decision-making that chapter was super fast to script because it's six panels a page. It's like super, it's, you don't have to think about it as much. Right. It takes Mm -hmm. away one parameter that you have to, that you might otherwise have to consider. And so then, and so then like the more, the more I would limit these kind of, so in with a song, it's the same thing. Right. And then, and then the great thing is that what that does is it'll, it allows you to break the rules you've set up with purpose.
0: Like a science fiction novel.
1: You, yeah. Well, like, you know, like Canopus is a good example of that, right? So, like, with that book, there are all kinds of rigid, rigid formal rules for the story proper. And then, as soon as you hit a flashback, those rules get kind of like chucked out the window a little bit. And with the, it's deliberately like, you set up rules and then you, and then you disrupt the rules specifically for the effect that, that, that has. So yeah, man, I, I obsess about this stuff and, and then in for, for music, it's, it's again, like the same, the same process really. Um, and the other thing that, the other thing is I, that, that, that's similar about music and comics is this rhythmic, like two, out two aspects. One is like comics are like, to me like a very rhythmic form forward medium in a way that like film maybe isn't quite as form forward. You don't lose, you don't, you're not, there are times when you're watching a movie that you're like, that you lose the awareness that you're dealing with form, but with comics, you can't escape form. Yeah. You can't escape the, the form of it. And then I feel like music is, is sometimes a similar thing. And then, and then the other thing is that, as far as music with lyrics, like you're dealing with generally like a space limitation. And that's really similar to comics where it, it becomes slightly more akin to poetry than to like literature, like novel writing, right. Where you have, where if you want to communicate a scene, you have like four panels to communicate a scene. And how do you communicate everything that needs to be communicated with four panels? And so with each panel, like each word balloon needs to communicate this bit of information and then the image can carry on this other part of information. And I think with, with music, it's, it's really, it's really a similar, you know, if you, again, it's that, it's that idea of like leaning into the limits, the limitations of the medium to kind of like more elegantly tell whatever story you're trying to tell or whatever information you're trying to communicate. So. Yeah,
0: man. So in terms of the obsession of music and uh, what it is that you're trying to communicate, this is the last question, but it might be a hard question. Okay. If I lend you my time machine and you can go back in time and you can see any jazz artist perform, <laughs> would there be a specific type of show that you would go to? Like, I don't know, like Sam Cooke live at the Harlem Square in 63? <laughs> or would there be a certain artist you go back and see? Who would you go back and see? Um, I told you this was a hard one.
1: Well, I mean, I I think probably, like, I probably have one of two answers. So one would be, it would be really cool to go back in time and hear Mingus. But yeah. Mingus' bands with, one of the two bands he had was Eric Dolphy. So there's a band, there's an earlier band with, like, Ted Curson on trumpet and No Piano that I really loved. I really love that band. And then there's another group that has Johnny Coles on trumpet and Jackie Bayard on piano and Clifford Jordan on tenor saxophone. And that band is incredible as well. I'd probably want to go hear that group or the, one of those two groups. And then also uh, the other, you know, like when I think about like Miles Davis, there's so many different groups of that. I would like to hear of Miles Davis. So like, it would be really cool to hear, his group with Wayne Shorter and Tony Williams in their prime and or or like it would be really amazing to hear the like miles ahead music played live. Um so yeah I think that's probably uh
0: that's probably my answers, you know. It's interesting, Miles Davis once said you can tell the history of jazz in four words, Louis Armstrong and <laughs> yeah. Charlie Parker Uh, that's right so it's a great way to kind of like end this chasing the bird a charlie parker graphic novel it's coming out december 9 is that correct i know the dates got pushed back a little bit yeah everything's yeah
1: um yeah it's been it's definitely like the production of this book has been harrowing um because of covid yeah and
0: it's 2020
1: so, so yeah like every the book the books were printed overseas and they're all hardcover books right there's two editions of the book there's like a special deluxe edition that's oversized and then there's a standard edition that's normal size and they were each printed in different countries in asia and then they were each bound in a separate location and then the like the deluxe edition comes with a record and the and the records like were print were pressed in another location and every bit of manufacturing is delayed and then shipping and then customs to get them into like the United States and then getting them warehoused. And it's, every step has been delayed. And so I know a lot of people have been really bent out of shape about the delays and that's really been a drag to see, but it is on its way. The book is real. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I, I know some people have gotten it already and date was like November 17th when they started shipping the standard editions. I know that there was a partial shipment of the deluxe editions that happened around that time as well but then like the some something happened with anyway it's just it's just the books are going to get out it's just like we're all just like everything it's been the whole process has been kind of impacted by this by COVID so it's a bummer
0: Yeah, it is a bummer, but at the same time, like, congratulations. I know this was, like, I guess a commission from the Charlie Parker team. They wanted to um, kind of memorialize his 100th... Yeah, it's his birth, right? It's 1920? Yeah, that's uh, great. that's The centennial of Parker's birth. So the Charlie Parker estate, they wanted to commission a graphic novel, which I think is pretty cool. It's a good way to kind of, like, keep him alive, because I know the... um, The Clint Eastwood movie came out in 1988, and it kind of fallen on the cracks. Nobody really kind of talks about it. It's a good movie, though, but it it just kind of like, it just doesn't really kind of surface on Netflix and other places. So this is a good way to kind of keep Charlie Parker alive, because he died in 1955. So way to go. It's a a great achievement.
1: Thanks, man. I I appreciate that very much. Yeah, I'm really happy with the book. I honestly couldn't be more thrilled with the way the book turned out. And I think once everybody gets their, gets their copy and and reads it, I think people are really gonna love this one. So mm-hmm. I'm really,
0: I'm really excited. Yeah, perfect. That's it. Uh, we covered Miles Davis. We covered Charlie Parker. Um, <laughs> we covered comic books and writing music. Uh, we did quite a bit, actually. Right so, on. Yeah. Thanks so much for your time, Dave. <laughs> right on, Sammy.
1: Thank you so much for 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 reaching out, and I'm thanks for a good conversation.
0: that was comic book creator Dave Chisholm his graphic novel is Chasing the Bird I am Sammy Unin. so I get it this strange My Summer episode has been sort of out of time Charlie Parker died in 1955 and if you don't actively listen to jazz I concede there's a, a so what quality to this conversation I recommend Dave's outstanding graphic novel, Chasing the Bird, filled with Dizzy Gillespie, John Coltrane, Miles Davis, and many other talented humans from that era. That a hundred years after his birth, Charlie Parker and his potent jazz work earned a graphic novel is incredible. All known artists are mostly popular or relevant. Popularity is easy. We all enjoy one hit wonders, but to be relevant, I'm using present tense, To be relevant, that's difficult. And to be popular and relevant is rare, but it happens. It happened on the last day of 2017, December 31st. Netflix released two Dave Chappelle comedy specials. One was called The Bird Revelation. This is my answer to the so what question. You may not know Charlie Parker or heard his music, but... You know Dave Chappelle and his special The Bird Revelation. You may have even seen it. It's one of my favorite Chappelle specials. The Bird Revelation opens with a Charlie Parker quote. I came alive. I could fly. Charlie Parker's nickname was Bird, of course, so hence the title of the comedy special. Bird is amazing. He's a jazz saxophonist. I turned my dad onto him like I don't know a few years back. What made Bird so good at jazz was he, quote, invented his own line, his own melody, and orchestrated it within the ensemble, so that he was, in effect, playing every instrument, end quote. That's Stanley Crouch's writing. When I am trying to understand jazz, I read Stanley Crouch, like most people. Bird was an intellectual and a talented artist who charted his own path. When I initially saw the title, The Bird Revelation, I didn't get it, but when I saw the Charlie Parker quote, I was like, damn, son, I know where you're going with this. And I instantly made some tea before watching all the comedy. In The Bird Revelation, which I think is what The Revelation is, in that special, Dave Chappelle is talking about freedom, or as he puts it, living fearlessly. At one point in the special, he says, I empathize, man, you know. Everybody gets mad because I say these jokes, but you gotta understand that this is the best time to say them more now than ever. And I know there's some comedians in the back. Motherfucker, you have a responsibility to speak recklessly. Otherwise, my kids may never know what reckless talk sounds like. The joys of being wrong. I didn't come here to be right. That, what Chappelle is talking about, that is how Charlie Parker lived And that is how Charlie Parker created. The answer to so what is freedom. Fly like a bird. More so creatively. Bird used his freedom to make terrible choices, addicted to dope, dishonesty with women in his life. Those ugly elements are captured in the graphic novel Chasing the Bird. Yet Parker also used his freedom to make this spectacular music. We're still talking about him today. All known artists are mostly popular or relevant. And like Dave Chappelle and Charlie Parker, you have the same beautiful freedom to create something out of nothing, to build and to tear down, to learn hard lessons from terrible choices, or to relish the joy of options. Do more than just breathe in and breathe out. Live your life and enjoy your freedom. Go forth chasing the bird. You can follow me on social media, my summer layer for all three. Twitter, Facebook, and IG. My summer lair. Thank you so much for listening to me in a Netflix world. Jazz, yo.